Listener Production. Dami Im is good at competitions. In 1999, she was a finalist in the Yamaha Youth Piano Competition. Before winning X Factor Australia in 2013, and of course placing second in the Eurovision Song Contest. Quite the award-winning trajectory. Today, the university-trained singer-songwriter is a new mother and continues to make music that is beloved all over the world. Her new EP, In Between, will be released next week. Dami joined me to trace back her childhood, from learning piano at age five, migrating to Australia at nine, and her first experience hearing a recording of her own voice. Let's just say she didn't love it. My name is Jamila Rizvi and welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Up next, The Weekend List, where Helen Smith and I recommend what to watch, see, do, eat and listen to this weekend. But first, here is the incredible Dami Im. Hey, Dami Im, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, I am honestly so thrilled to have you. And what we we don't normally tell the listeners is that behind the scenes, it's taken us a while to do this. But folks, the wait <laughs> the wait is going to have been worth it. You didn't even know you were waiting, but I knew, and it's going to be absolutely <laughs> worth it because I have been a Dami fan for a long, long time. I've been wanting to chat to you on this show for a while. Oh, thank you. And I wanted to start by asking: you have the most impressive singing career. And you've been doing so many different things with it in terms of your songwriting as well. Tell me about you as a little kid. Tell me about what you were like growing up. I know you've got um, that you're the elder of two. What were you like as a, as a young child? As a young child, I was always quite you know, attention seeking, but also really shy out in public, uh, which is really weird, a weird combination, which yeah. I, I think I like it's not a good combination because I'm like, that's why I like being on stage and getting, doing stuff and all that stuff. But I'm also like, don't look at me. <laughs> yeah, I because that's not, that's, I mean, that's something that a lot of performers say, right? That actually quite shy in public, but on stage that yeah. goes away. That makes no yeah. sense to me. Can you try and explain it to me? So for example, I, I remember one of my kind of earliest memories of that feeling was when I was still in Korea, so I was born in South Korea. We, uh, we migrated to Australia when I was nine years old. So I went to school there for three years. And I think it was like year one or two, there was, you know, at the end of the term, there was like a talent quest or whatever, just the class, you know, our classroom yeah. thing. We all sat on the floor, no desks or chairs. And the teacher said, now who wants to go first? Do You know, sing or dance or whatever you want to do. And obviously everyone's like, no one wants to go first. Yeah. And I was the, you know, shy kid at school who I only hung out with my close group of friends. They didn't, you know, the whole class didn't really know me necessarily. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like I was so scared, but I'm like, I have to put my hand up because I, otherwise I'll regret. So I actually remember like closing my eyes and wow. being like a movie thing where you put your hand up and I went up and I sang like some lame song that wasn't even good, but I had to do it. It was like this inner voice saying, you must do this. Otherwise, yeah, I, I just know myself to regret it later on. Yeah, And I, I think that's kind of been the same the, throughout the whole life, like, Oh, like it's terrifying, but I know I have this thing I want to show people and I want to show off 
you know, this whatever that I, I've prepared. Yeah. And I want to sh- share it with everybody and see their reaction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I know you, you started playing piano young, but I want to ask about singing. Did you learn to sing? Oh, this, it's, I know this sounds really strange, but like every little kid is always sort of mucking around, you know, like I can sing and no one wants to listen to it, but I can. Mm. Um, did you have a process as a kid as, of learning and getting better? Yeah, definitely. So I loved singing just, I guess, like a lot of other kids, I, I'm guessing. But my mum was an opera singer yeah, right. before she came to Australia and, you know, had to just look after me and my brother, which is a full-time, full-time job. But she said to me and my brother one day that, oh, you know, your brother, Kenny, has a much stronger voice than you, Dami, because I was always losing my voice. Like I would yell and scream and run around and it would go. So uh, I thought, oh, okay, Kenny's got the good voice. I don't have the good voice. And it didn't stop me from wanting to sing. And I remember in when I was about 13 years old, for the first time, recording myself sing onto a computer. Yeah. Because I thought, you know, oh, well, my dad actually told me you know, the professional singers, they have all this equipment, they actually record onto this program, they put all these things on them and it makes them sound good. So anyone can sound like that. I was like, oh, yeah, it's nothing. So I tried and listened back and i that's when I realised I sounded so crap. Um, <laughs> I thought you were about to and, and then I realised I was amazing. Yeah, I wish that's what I thought was going to happen. I, I was going to be like, oh, I can do it too. Um, but and then dad and myself, not that we were any good at the program, we tried to put on like echoes and <laughs> whatever you we thought we you know put on. It still sounded so crap. And that was the first time I, I went, Oh my gosh, like singing like these artists, this, you know, pop idols that I followed, K pop and you know, they actually have something that I don't have. They know how to do this. And I, I really want to be able to sound like that. So that was the moment I started to practice. And like every day I would record myself, listen back and record like one line at a time, like million times, just going through wow. trying to finish a song and make it sound sort of okay, you know? And I think that process helped me improve until, yeah, then then it was it sounded nicer for other people to hear one day. I incredibly uh, deliberate and um, sort of almost procedural for a teenager. Like at 14, I, I just wanted to earn money at my job at Baker's Delight and flirt with cute <laughs> boys. I think that was all, all I was focused on. I want to reverse um, in time just a, a little bit back to your family moving to Australia. Do you remember... You were you were nine, you were saying. So you would remember the decision to move. Do you remember how your parents told you that you'd be leaving? I released a book last year and I, I do talk about this as well, but they actually did tell me, I think, like they did tell me, but I assumed it was a holiday that we were going on because we, my uncle, his family lived in Brisbane. So, and we've been going there a number of times before actually coming and moving. So I thought it was another one of those fun summer holidays here. And when we got here, 
you know, we were still going to, you know, Dreamworld and the zoos and all that, looking at kangaroos, going swimming every day. It was awesome. And then uh, I remember going to the supermarket and I said to mum that I wanted to buy this like coloring book. I'm like, I want to do this. And mum's like, no, you're not going to have time anymore because you got to go to school. I was like, oh, so it's like the fun's over. Yeah. Now let's get down to real business. And I was like, oh, okay, this is like happening. Something, it's different. You know, that's, I think I didn't really think it through until that moment. Like, oh, yeah, it's not a holiday. Yeah. Yeah. I know that piano absolutely dominated your high school years and you were, you were and are an extraordinarily good pianist, but the singing sort of continued to be something that happened in the background for you during during high school yeah. is that right yeah that's right yeah I was so sure growing up that I was going to become a concert pianist and that was my future like because I was doing all these Estedfords and winning competitions and you know I was known for that at school and my parents were so proud of me even though I didn't love it I just thought oh like that was the yeah like a bit of sad reality when I thought sat down and thought like oh yeah I guess I'm gonna be a pianist (laughs) oh well I'll settle for concert pianists (laughs) if that's what I have to do yeah yeah oh concert pianist like well you know you don't just go oh like some local pianist you're like oh yeah I'll settle for like world-renowned pianist like performing at Carnegie Hall and traveling the world oh no but like I I genuinely wasn't excited by that so I was recording myself and singing in the background and then um yeah in year 12 when you have to decide what you want to do after that it's like I really don't want to do piano yeah like that was the time where I really had this like crisis where I was like do I really is this it and like everything just made me feel like okay I need to at least go to uni get a degree in piano so that's what I did would it be hard to break away from that that expectation? Yeah, expectation. And also it was like I've come this far. You know, at the time it was like I practiced every single day. I that was, you know, I was better than most kids, you know, in in Queensland. And so I was like, well, it's you can't uh waste that and I was like, okay, yeah. My my mum said, like, if you have the piece of paper, it'll be worth it in the end. I don't know if that's true still. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that now. But yeah, at, at the time I was like, all right. But that's when I started to, like, sing at church, which was my first, like, public thing, you know, yeah. in not just in my bedroom, but I was singing in front of people and doing more of that. And, and after uni, that's when I went, okay, I... I can now really decide what I want to do and could singing be something that I could try? So then I did another Korean Asian thing, get another degree. Okay, I'll get a degree <laughs> in singing now. So <laughs> um, I'm giggling because um, I, I'm uh, Indian yes. background and uh, parents aren't that dissimilar. Um, in the like, off you go, go get more degrees, please. Yeah. Uh, that's all we expect. <laughs> Tell me then how you go from two degrees in music 
to walking on stage at X Factor? Uh, okay, so after the second degree, <laughs> uh, so I finished my singing, contemporary singing degree. So during my degree, I recorded like an album in Korean and English. It was like a Christian, like gospel type of album. And I tried to make a career out of it, obviously, like everybody does. And I went back to Korea for a little bit because my dad got in contact with people there, like like a tiny little internet Christian radio station. Oh, right. And they said, yeah, we can, you know, see if we can help you like promote the album. And so I went back and I was doing these like small gigs at little churches sometimes with, you know, like five old ladies in the countryside <laughs> or it would be, you know, a bigger church where it's like hundred or, you know, several hundred thousands, even big mega churches or like youth camps. And I'd yeah. go and speak and I'd sing and do things like that, which was fun and kind of very uh, eventful because, you know, the, the quality of the venue and the system yeah. is very different. And sometimes, yeah, like terrible sometimes, like really I've, one time they were playing the back my backing track on a tv screen and oh, then God. but it was through a it was like a cd player and the cd skipped and so I, I lost my place and nobody else knew and everyone just thought oh she forgot like oh, and it's just the microphones you know the microphones that people use on like buses some some would sound like that and <laughs> So it was very interesting times, but also it trained me to just adapt, be able to adapt anywhere I went and trying to adapt to my audience, whether mm -hmm. it be old ladies in the countryside or young kids. Um, so I guess it wasn't, you know, it was all, it wasn't for nothing. It helped mm -hmm. me to grow a lot. But at one point after I did that for about a, like a couple of years, but I was also going back and forth from Korea, like three months in Korea, three months in Australia. And it was just too hard. Like I wasn't like, making any money and also traveling back and forth didn't help me continue to get gigs. It kept breaking my momentum. And then I really wanted to just stay in Australia. I got married. I was about to say, I was going to go back to that in a moment because just before X Factor, you go and get married. Yeah. So I had been dating Noah for a very long time at that point. So it was like, okay, we should we should get married. We were always going to get married. So, okay, we'll do that. I'm like, I want to stay in Australia. I don't want to just keep, you know, ditching my husband and my life. Yeah. Like this is home and it was just too hard. So then I, I thought, what can I do? And previously to this point, I people would always suggest, oh, you should go on, you know, a talent show yeah. go on Australian Idol like I think every every vocalist would get that every singer would get suggested and I was quite offended I was like what do you mean I'm already a singer I'm already like working and this is my job why would I go on a like silly reality show it was beneath me uh, <laughs> but at that point I felt like I had nothing to lose and yeah. um, I was desperate like I needed to try everything to help me get started in Australia and, and have some sort of 
exposure so I could get more gigs at the pub or, you know, get more opportunities at different churches or something. So I, I signed myself up and, yeah, that's what happened. That's what happened. And then the next bit is where I finally get to be like, and then this is the bit of you I remember because I yes. remember you singing Hero um, by Mariah Carey and just being, mm-hmm. I actually, I remember my first thought being, I, I will admit my first thought as the, the person with all the knowledge sitting on the couch, I remember thinking, why would you think, why would you choose that song? That is a very stupid decision. <laughs> that song is so hard. Who would sing that in their audition? Yeah. You're only going to fail. And you were absolutely extraordinary. Tell us about the progress through that competition. How did your confidence go, especially given that you talked about being a shy kid? You're not just performing when you're singing on a show like X Factor. There's a lot of behind the scenes and before and after and reactions. How did that go, being so public? Yeah, 100%. It was definitely really different to what I had experienced at singing Mm. at churches. You know, like normally I was used to people being just super nice. They were just like, oh, oh," like they're just, no matter, like even even if I sounded awful or, you know, if I say something, they will just smile and clap and be very encouraging. Whereas in the first audition, they were, I I guess it's all part of the show as well, but it was all very like, "Mm, let's let's, let's see what you can do. I was like, oh, that's different. But yeah, I found it difficult talking and doing all the behind the scenes things, giving, you know, those sound bites and interviews. And that was all really new to me. Um, But the singing... Singing part also, it, that was difficult because they, there was really not a lot of time to prepare for the next round, even though on television you can't really tell what the timeline's like, but it was, for us, it was like you get through and then, you know, next day you've got to do another song mm. and, and like a song that I've never heard before. Yeah. Um, so it's really challenging, but I had also very low expectations like I I just went on thinking like I I just hope to get some exposure I just don't want to get you know edited out and if I get shown on TV you know a couple of times maybe it might help me get more gigs at different places so that was all I had hoped for so to go so far it's not something that I'd ever even imagined it was just like what happened it's like winning the lottery you know you just don't think it's going to happen to you and spoiler alert for everyone listening, Dummy wins. Uh, X Factor back in back in 2012. And then after that, Dummy, uh, you know, I think a lot of reality TV singing competitions launch a career that peaks very quickly and then starts to dissipate and doesn't necessarily have that critical success ongoing. But you then become the first of the X Factor contestants to have a number one single with a number one album on the ARIA charts. <laughs> there are so many kids all over the world that sit in their bedrooms singing and dreaming of something like that, right? Yeah. What happens when you get it? Like, is there a part of you that sort of goes, I could have, I'm done, I have made it? Or are you immediately striving for the next thing? Well, at that time, it didn't feel real. Mm. Seriously, I was just this 
girl trying to get gigs at the local pub and um, to have that happen to me wasn't, it didn't feel like my success, to be honest, at the time. And I just knew I felt really lucky and special for being put in that position. But I, I think I, that's why I tried to search for answers, like, cause, because I've, you know, a person, like a believer all my life. So I was like, I wonder if, you know, why God put me in this position? Like, why did I win this um, lottery, <laughs> you know, reality TV lottery into this? And what does it mean? What should I do? And I guess I want to talk about compassion because I really held on to the work that I did with Compassion, which is a, a charity that I had been supporting since I was 17. And, you know, to become their ambassador, that was the first thing me and my husband decided to do. Like, well, let's get in touch with Compassion and see if we can do something with them. And, you know, doing work for those children and bringing, you know, more awareness and getting sponsorships for them, you know, kids living in poverty around the world. That felt like, okay, this is why God put me here to be in this situation and to win this reality, you know, music lottery, if you could call it that. And so, yeah, that, it was a lot of hardships, but also beautiful experiences when it came to working with compassion and meeting, you know, lovely people through different experiences. I'm so glad you shared that story, Dami, because I think from the outside, when you watch someone having so much success in a profession like music, you, as the spectator to it all, think everything is glittering and perfect. And to hear you talk about the complexities you were navigating behind the scene, but also the purpose-led work that you were doing with Compassion speaks to the, the highs and the lows that we don't see, I suppose, as the audience and the people who are following your music. When Eurovision comes along, and I recognise I'm, I'm skipping a few years here, but when Eurovision comes along, that's a pretty unusual experience for someone who was born in South Korea and then moved to Australia and suddenly you're in the biggest European song contest in the world. Did the irony escape you at the time? Did you have any prospects that you were going to have the success that you did? Eurovision was just the most craziest and most intense experience that I've ever had in my life. It was not like anything else. It's just a lot of pressure and just, yeah, a lot of expectations that I put on myself thinking about, you know, representing a whole country and also for myself, you know, I thought, you know, when I finish this competition, I will have a number that I finish on and that number will be with me for the rest of my life. And I, I was just like, ah, I have to get a really good result. And I, you know, I definitely wasn't expecting to do as well as I actually ended up um, because, you know, there's 40, was it 43 countries and everyone's trying to get number one. So I was like, I would really want to be top 10. Really great if I could beat the previous contestant. <laughs> it was Guy Sebastian. And that, that was like my secret kind of <laughs> ambition. Like I want to be more yeah. than fifth place. That would be amazing. 
And to have that result was just really totally unexpected. And um, yeah, but the, the experience was just, it was life-changing in so many ways. It obviously helped my career to build new fans everywhere. But also personally, it gave me this like new confidence and opened up a new chapter, literally like in my book, but also in like literally it did open up a new chapter, literally, not literally. Uh, but it was like I started to question everything. Like, why am I working with these people? Why do I do this, you know, make music with, you know, in this way? Why am I with this label, my management? everything and that was a big turning point and a lot of changes were made after that um and my mindset was completely different so it was like pre eurovision dami post eurovision dami two different things yeah it sounds like you had a, a sliding doors moment not just with the the newfound fame and fans but with how you wanted to run your own career exactly yeah yeah you've got a new ep scheduled for release in just a few days' time. Tell us about In Between. Yeah, I, I always get so anxious every time a new release is coming up. Like I just, it's it's the same. It's a pattern um, because I'm so excited for people to hear it, but also really nervous about what they're going to think. But I wrote this EP while I was pregnant. So when I was pregnant last year, it was just mentally like such a shift, you know, and yeah. I always thought once you become a mother, your life is over and you're just, people will look at you differently and you're you're going to just quit your career. You're, you're going to just mop the floor every day <laughs> and change, you know, you know, clean up poop and that's what you'll do because you're a mum. Uh, it was just like in my head yeah and it was terrifying and I still wanted to be a mom like it wasn't you know something that I wasn't wanting but I was also it was still really difficult so I did you know what I do and I I wrote songs and I co-wrote with my friends and the seven tracks on this EP is actually in the order of how they were written so the first few tracks are very like you're gonna you know first track is called role model I'm not your role model I'm gonna be a mother I am a daughter I'm a woman I'm not your role model like it was very angry and then second track is like also similar and then it goes through kind of the acceptance phase collide which is a song that's already out where I I wrote that after my son was born and I had this realization like wow I'm grieving my past, past life, but I'm also accepting this new season, which is really difficult, but also really beautiful. And I'm going to bravely take that step and collide with this new world. And then it, so on and so on. And so it's just about the in-betweenness of being, you know, not being a mum, but, you know, in a career person. and, And also like, it just, I've always been, an in-between person between a Korean and an Australian, you know, being inside the church and also being outside the church. Like I always felt that pull and push. Mm. And so, yeah, that's what the EP is about. Very personal, I guess. And so I'm just, 
I don't know. That is <laughs> very, very exciting. And I think telling those stories of feeling pulled between cultures, between different versions of yourself, between what you're expected to be or what you want to be, those are absolutely universal stories. And I cannot wait to hear more of your new album. Dami, thank you so much for being my guest on The Weekend Briefing. Thank you so much. And also, I've got to plug my tour. I'm going on tour. Tell us, tell us more. <laughs> so I'm going on tour on the day of the release, 7th of July, and I'm doing very small number of shows, Sydney Opera House, Powerhouse in Brisbane, Melbourne, Temple is sold out, um, and Avoca Beach, Canberra. So get your tickets, folks. Yeah, come along. See me. That's it for my conversation with Dami Im. Her new EP, In Between, is scheduled for release in just a few days, not much longer to wait. Dami has also announced a limited run of live performances along Australia's East Coast. To find out more, head to damiim, that's one word, dot com. Don't go away. The Weekend List is coming up next. It is Weekend List time. Helen Smith is here and we are ready, folks, to get you sorted for the weekend ahead with a few little things to do and watch and Look, knowing Helen and I, probably eat as well. Helen, what have you got to recommend? All right. So my first recommendation, I went to The Little Mermaid, the live action remake, and it was... (laughs) Sorry, live action makes me laugh when it's mermaids. Yeah, it was a bit weird to see like real bodies. They're not real. tails, but the hair under the water was amazing. That was my favourite part. But yeah, it it was amazing and it was quite refreshing because I completely forgot The Little Mermaid. I forgot what happened. I just... What? (laughs) I... There were parts where I was just like, what is going on? And I was stressing out in my seat and my best friend next to me was just like, oh my God, like do you not know like what is happening right now? And uh, anyway, it it was amazing. And like Halle Bailey was the most perfect mermaid and she's only 23. And I was just like, ugh. I was like, oh my God, I cannot wait to see what she does next. And the singing, the singing was phenomenal. Like her singing was amazing. Look, I am very behind the boat here. It has been out for a while, but if you haven't seen it, you have to go see it. It was just beautiful. The only thing that was a bit weird was Flounder, the little fish, talking as a real fish. It was very live action and I was kind of like, oh, this this is odd. The fish is talking. But other than that, great. Amazing. I actually cannot wait to see it. I'm also a little bit behind the eight ball, but we're changing pace, folks. I'm recommending not even a cake. I'm recommending just the icing. Just the icing, everybody. Uh, so <laughs> have it with cake. Um, I love a carrot cake. And the other day in the office at work, um, two of my team had a birthday on the same day and they are also lovers of carrot cake, but I wanted to make it slightly more interesting. And so I found a recipe for what's called sunshine carrot cake on Women's Weekly Food. And I'm not recommending the cake. I mean, the cake was fine, everyone, but you can find a good recipe for carrot cake anywhere. I'm recommending the icing, which was more interesting. It was a cream cheese icing like you must have on a carrot cake and it must have a ratio of, you know, one part icing to two parts cake or more icing is allowed, but not less. But this was slightly different because they get you to burn the butter to begin with. So you put the butter in a pan and you cook the butter on low heat till it's burnt and it gets that nutty, like delicious taste. And then you put the melted butter back in the fridge for like an hour so that it 
sort of reconstitutes. That sounds gross, but it, I promise the icing's delicious. And then you make the icing like normal and you also add the rind of an orange or two. And so it's the cream cheese icing, but it's got a burnt butter element and then it's also got the orange rind. Sounds a bit weird. It's amazing. Any of the foodies out there, you've got to make it. It's not that much more difficult than a regular carrot cake icing. Oh my gosh, it was just life-changing icing, everybody. That does sound amazing. And I am certain this is not the first time you recommended burnt butter. <laughs> oh, burnt butter, dudes, is, I am a fan. I'm always a fan. I think I've probably recommended it in a cookie. I probably like, I'm a, yeah, I'm a very big fan. I'm sorry, everybody. It's going to be a recurring theme. No, I love it. I'm a big fan too. My <laughs> second recommendation is again, it is from Kmart. <laughs> I I just love Kmart. I love Kmart. But this is an ice contour cube. I've seen this around the internet and you can get them from the actual like contour, 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 contour cube. <laughs> <laughs> the beauty influencers are going to send so many complaints. You can get the real one for like 35 bucks, but no, go to Kmart and you can get them for $8. It's pretty much because I cannot put my whole face in a bowl of ice water. That is just too much for me. That sounds quite reasonable not to want to do that. Yeah, well, I just, I've tried. I've tried. I just can't. And I also, I don't have a bowl that's like deep enough. And anyway, it's just, so I get this ice contour cube and because I get a really puffy face and, and sometimes I cry. I cry in my dreams. I'm just like, I have a really vivid dream. You're having a lot of feelings. Yeah, having a lot of yeah, feelings. A lot of feelings. Uh, so my ice cube, contour cube, it's just perfect. I grab it out of the freezer, give my face a little free refresh in the morning and I feel great. I don't actually know if it does anything, but it makes me feel good. But it feels good. feels good. I'm pretty sure that's the truth of any beauty product ever. Don't know if it does anything, but it feels good. That's, I think that's generally what we're, what we're going for. Um, I really honestly think we could rename this segment of the show of the weekend briefing. It could not be the list. It could just be burnt butter and Kmart bargains, that kind of thing. But I am going to recommend an actual thing, everyone. I went and saw on Sunday night the premiere of Midnight, a Cinderella story, the musical. I assumed I was just going to see Cinderella. I didn't really look into the detail properly. Folks, this was a world premiere of a new musical. So new story, new music, new songs, new lyrics, new everything. And it's Australian. It's been written by an all-Australian crew. The music and the lyrics are by John Foreman and Anthony Costanzo. So like some serious cred there. And Kate Miller-Heike's got a song in the in the lineup as well. And it is so lovely and funny and sweet. It's showing in Melbourne at the Comedy Theatre at the moment, but I'm sure it will be going all over Australia in the coming months and possibly the world, everybody, because we do not get enough new musicals, right? Musicals is something that, I don't know, we, we still go back to the old classics. And it was so exciting for me to see this sort of new, slightly feminist, social justice -y take on the traditional story of Cinderella. And I've got to say that um, Brianna Bishop in the lead role as Ella was a total standout. And Lucy Durack is there as the fairy godmother and had me crying tears of laughter. She was so funny and so silly and just so wonderful to see an all-Australian original production on stage. It was very cool. That's it for the weekend list, everybody. And that's it for the weekend briefing for another week. Thank you so much for being with us. We always enjoy having your company. If you want to get more of the show, the best thing to do is to download the listener app and you can follow us there so that you never miss an episode. 
while you are there or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to leave us a rating, a review, some kind words of support to Helen and I, you know, more burnt butter, less Kmart bargains, that kind of thing. We would love to hear from you. We really, really would. The feedback means a lot. The briefing will be back bright and early on Monday morning where Tom Tilly and the team will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones. Listener.